Welcome to the podcast of Harvest Baptist Church in Harvest, Alabama. We invite you into our sanctuary as we dive into God's Word with our pastor, Dr. Al Peringer. This letter uh, to the church of uh, Thyatira is the fourth uh, in a series of the seven letters to the seven churches that's found in the book of Revelation. Uh, I have reached the top of the mountain, so to speak. Uh, this is the fourth and so there's three more to go, so I've reached the pinnacle. Uh, it may take me another year to finish them, but uh, I'm going to keep, uh, as the Lord wills, plugging away at it. Um, I started studying uh, these letters and, and preaching through uh, the seven letters uh, last year because of a series that was in uh, one of the uh, uh, Sunday school curriculums that we use that's called Explore the Bible. And the title of the series last summer was called The Church That God Desires. And the purpose of the series was to see what Jesus said to these churches in the book of Revelation. Because Jesus, he commands us to do certain things we're, and we're told to be obedient. And so he, he gave messages to these seven churches at the beginning of Revelation. And so we want to look at what the implications uh, of these letters and their message, what they sh uh, would say to us today. And so uh, we have seen Jesus many times in these other three letters um, uh, show his status, his identity, if you will. Uh, he, he tells a little bit about himself at the beginning of each letter. Uh, in each letter, Jesus commends the faithfulness and the perseverance of these churches, uh, even some that were in the midst of, of persecution in the time that they were written. Uh, Jesus had some things against these churches, well, two of them, uh, the church at Smyrna did not receive a rebuke, a rebuke from the Lord, uh, but he tells the churches there's some things that need to change, otherwise there's going to be consequences. And then Jesus also, at the end of each of these letters, uh, he gives hope uh, to those who hold fast to the faith. And so, um, and, and then also near the end of each letter, each time he says these words, he who has an ear to hear, let him, he let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And so this morning, we want to have ears that are attentive to what the Holy Spirit uh, would say to us as individuals and to us as a church today. Um, you know, the word of the Lord has been preserved for us uh, in the Bible so that we can be encouraged, so we can be challenged, and, and we can, you know, hear the word and listen to what the Holy Spirit would teach us uh, so that we can be a, a people and a church that God desires. And so we're going to see this very similar format, same format, uh, in the letter to the church at Thyatira. But I want to give just a little bit of background uh, on the book of Revelation. Uh, it was written by the Apostle John around 90 AD, uh, while there was uh, a lot of persecution of the church going on in the Roman Empire. And so the, um, uh, the, the, the book of Revelation was written uh, to encourage believers and tell them of the things that were to come, but it was also written as a word of challenge uh, to those to continue to hold fast to the faith. And so John had been exiled uh, to the island of Patmos because of his faith, and he was preaching because he was preaching the true faith of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so one Lord's Day, uh, he is worshiping and he is in the Spirit, as uh, Revelation 1 says, and he sees a vision of the glorified Lord Jesus Christ, and the Lord tells him, to write these things in a book and send them to the seven churches. 
Now, we believe that all Scripture is God-breathed and is profitable, and so we believe that God has preserved this book for us to hear a word from Him uh, and, and through the Holy Spirit of what He would say to us as a church. Now, we also need to have a little bit of background uh, for the, about the church at Thyatira uh, because uh, this is the destination of this fourth letter. It's helpful to know about the place uh, that, that the, and the people that received the message so that we can uh, try to understand uh, the Lord's message to them and then how it applies to us. Now, Thyatira was not a very big, a big city or a prominent city. Uh, you know, Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, they were big cities. They played uh, a, a large role in the, in the Roman Empire in that area. Pergamum, you could almost say, was a marginalized city. Uh, but it did have one thing going for it, and that was trade. And so many goods, such as wool and linen and apparel and dyed fabrics, leather, bronze, all of these things uh, were produced in Thyatira. And now, at least in biblical terms, the most famous citizen of Thyatira would have been the first person who became a Christian while in Europe. Lydia, uh, that we see in the book of Acts, was a seller of purple, dyed material and fabric, and Acts tells us that her hometown was Thyatira. And so all the trades that were going on, they had these guilds, and the guilds played a significant role in the life of the city and, it, and the people who worked in those guilds. Each guild uh, had a patron god, and the guilds would celebrate feasts to their gods, and there may have been uh, uh, statues like that were produced in, other, in the other cities uh, of their gods uh, that they would uh, sacrifice to, they would worship the, these gods. And these parties, these, uh, these festivals, were a big part uh, of city life in, in, in Thyatira, and there was probably a little bit of expectation to, to participate in them. So, uh, but these parties often involved things uh, such as sexual immorality or the sacrificing of meat to idols and, and, and worshiping them that the believers in, in Thyatira would have found to be immoral. And so all of these elements uh, play a role in the message that John received from the Lord Jesus Christ and that he delivered to the church at Thyatira. Uh, Thyatira may have been the smallest city of the seven, but their, their letter is the longest letter of the seven churches. And there's a lot of imagery in this passage, some of it that it might be difficult to understand, but we're going to try to explain it in such a way as that we can see through their eyes what it is that they would have understood about uh, these different symbols and images so that we can, in turn, come over and see what, how it would apply to us today. And so the, the images and the message of this letter is a, is a description of what happens when a church tolerates false teaching and follows that teaching, and then the person who is teaching it, or persons, uh, will not repent of it, after having been given multiple opportunities to do so. The Lord Jesus Christ calls each and every one of us uh, to repentance. His love for us means that he is patient, and he gives us every opportunity to repent. But there does come a time when our hearts will become hardened, and the, his call for repentance 
that sometimes it's the form, as the scripture says, of a still small voice. Sometimes we cannot hear that voice any longer. And if we persist in following after false teaching that leads us into false worship and sinful rebellion against God, then there will come a time when, even though the call is going out to repent, we may no longer be able to hear it. And so I want us to see in this passage uh, these descriptions that Jesus uses to warn the church and, and people as in, and, and, and individuals that there comes a time when repentance is no longer possible. And yet, even though this is a challenging word, there's a lot of imagery and things that may be very difficult to understand. Jesus offers hope to those who do not fall for the false teaching, who do not persevere in rebellion against God, and, he can, and you can turn to him in faith and then persevere in that faith. So this morning I want us to read the passage together and then we will uh, walk through it together. If you'll stand with me this morning in reverence to the reading of God's Word. And John writes, And to the angel at the church in Thyatira write, The words of the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire, and whose feet are like burnished bronze. I know your works, your love and faith and service and patient endurance, and that your latter works exceed the first. But I have this against you, that you tolerate that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. Behold, I will throw her onto a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her I will throw into great tribulation, unless they repent of her works. And I will strike her children dead, and all the churches will know that I am he who searches mind and heart, and I will give to each of you according to your works. But to the rest of you in Thyatira, who do not hold to this teaching, who have not learned what some call the deep things of Satan, I say to you, I do not lay on, on you any other burden, only hold fast to what you have until I come. The one who conquers and who keeps my words until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations, and he will rule them with an rod of iron, and with earthen pots, are, where earthen pots are broken in pieces, even as I myself have received authority from my Father. And I will give him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Let's pray. Our God in heaven, we thank you for your word, and we thank you this morning that we have had an opportunity uh, to talk with Jesus a little bit, uh, that we have uh, prayed, that we have uh, sang praises uh, to the name of the one who gave his life for us. And so now, Lord, we desire to hear from you, to hear from your word. And so I pray that uh, you would send the Holy Spirit this morning uh, to teach and to challenge and to encourage and to continue to give the hope that there is uh, in the Lord Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. You may be seated. So the first uh, description that uh, Jesus uses is about, uh, about his status, who he is. It's his identity. Uh, Jesus says that these are the words of the Son of God. 
And this is the only time that the phrase Son of God appears in the book of Revelation. Now this is the description that the Jewish members uh, in this congregation would have understood fully um, because uh, the term uh, Son of God is almost equivalent to the phrase Son of Man. And that was the phrase that Jesus often used to identify Himself. Uh, it would remind them of images that they had seen in the book of Daniel. Like in Daniel chapter 3, where the three Hebrew children who uh, were joined in a fiery furnace uh, by one that Nebuchadnezzar said looked like the Son of God. And that was because he was, they were joined there because they had declared to Nebuchadnezzar that they were not going to bow down to his idol. It would bring another image um, from Daniel, uh, once again Daniel chapter 7, of uh, a vision that Daniel saw. In Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 and 14, it says, I saw in the night vision, and behold, with the clouds of heaven there came one like a son of man, and he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples and nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom is one that shall not be destroyed. And so all of these things we know to understand, and, and the members of that church would have understand, especially the Jewish members, to know that this is a description of Messiah, the one that God was to send. And so the Messiah has eternal authority. And Jesus is using this image and this phrase, the Son of God, um, to, to point to his messianic authority. Because later on in the passage, he is going to quote from Psalm 2, uh, which is considered a messianic psalm. Now, we'll get to Psalm 2 just a little bit later, but understand that this was an image that at that time his readers would have understood, and we understand it as Christians today because we have Scripture that, have ex that has explained to us who Jesus is and what he came to do. Now, Jesus also uses the words that he is the one who has eyes like a flame of fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. Now, these images would have been understood by those in the church who worked in the, in the uh, material industries in the, in the city of Thyatira. Some of the people that they worked in uh, the bronze industry. And so they were able to take fire and they would take bronze and metal and they would mold it and shape it and, until it would be something that was useful as a tool or something in the home. Uh, might even be uh, uh, jewelry or, or something that one could wear, but they would take that fire and they would shape it into that form. It serves as a, pen, as a reminder uh, of the penetrating power of flames to do that, to shape and to mold and to change. And they would, it would remind people that Jesus has the power to change their, their hearts and their lives because each one of them in that church, no matter whether they were Jew or Gentile, they came, they came together as one body in the Lord Jesus Christ through His power to change lives. And so these images also, the, uh, uh, the eyes of fire and, and the feet of bronze, refers back to the vision that John saw at the beginning and he described in Revelation chapter 1 of, of the glorified Jesus Christ. And so um, Jesus is describing who he is and his power and his authority to the church in Thyatira in terms that they would have understood. And so Jesus also meets us where we are today. 
Every time we turn to hear a word from Him through the pages of the Bible, the Holy Spirit uh, that Jesus sent as a comforter and a teacher comes to us and it reminds us of the gospel. It reminds us of the words that He has said and it reminds us of the words that He said about Himself and who He is and His power and authority. And then um, even in times where we may be in rebellion, there's the call that He gives to repent and turn from our sins before it's no longer possible to do, to, to do so. Now, the second uh, description or, or image that, that Jesus uses, and, and there's several here, but these images describe the situation in the, th- in the church at Thyatira. And it does it in two distinct ways. And the first distinction is, is the works that Jesus commends to the church. Verse 19 tells us that Jesus knows their works, He knows their love and faith, and their service and their patient endurance. This is a church that is growing in maturity and they are serving their community. And we see that they are growing more and more because he says that their latter works exceed the first. And so it does seem that, it would seem that the church at Thyatira, it's not mentioned in Scripture, but they have not experienced uh, the persecution that has come to other areas in the empire, the other three uh, churches just yet. Um, and that may be a reason why there is uh, some toleration and, and complacency that we will see in the church. Uh, unlike the church at Ephesus, they have not lost their first love. However, the church at Thyatira has not yet developed the discernment of false teaching that was present in Ephesus. And it leads to a situation, as I said, where they are tolerating uh, this false teaching which leads to the second distinction, which is the things that are going on in the church that Jesus condemns. Jesus says, this is what I have against you, that you tolerate that woman Jezebel. Jesus says she calls herself a prophetess, but she is teaching and seducing those in the church to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. Now, I think the question that would be on all of our minds this morning, at least it was mine for about, oh, a month now, who is this woman Jezebel? Well, the answer that Scripture gives us, um, uh, even though the Word of God is, uh, is, is pure and true, the answer it gives us to humans is, as humans is not very satisfying because we don't know specifically who this woman was. We are not told in the passage. Now, uh, those familiar with the Old Testament or the Hebrew Bible, uh, particularly uh, the Jewish members of the congregation, they would have completely understood when someone was described as Jezebel because um, there, was a, uh, there was a king that it would remind them of the, of the reign of the king Ahab that is described in 1 Kings uh, 16, Uh, 30 through 33, and we read there, And Ahab, the son of Omri, did evil in the sight of the Lord, more than all who were before him. And as if it had been a light thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, he took for his wife Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbal, king of the Sidonians, and went and served Baal, or Baal, and worshipped him. He erected an altar to Baal, in the house of Baal, which he built in Samaria. And Ahab made an Asherah 
Ahab did more to provoke the Lord of God, the God of Israel to anger than all of the kings who were before him. So Jezebel marries the king of Israel and he begins to serve her gods. And then he, the king of Israel, leads the people to begin serving those gods. And so they move out uh, into idolatry. And the thing of it is that we're told that Ahab did this more so than any of the other kings before him. The other kings worshipped idols and, and, and were involved in these things and wanted to be like the country, the, the nations that were around them. But it was Ahab, through his wife Jezebel, that did more evil than all of them. And so this is uh, an image that if those uh, the church in, that those familiar with the scriptures at the time, uh, I'm talking about the Old Testament, they would have understood this image. And then the um, the, the the name Jezebel has become synonymous with uh, with false teaching and immorality and, and the worship of idols. Uh, you know, back then or or today, I do not think you will find very many girls. Uh, that moms and dads would name their daughter Jezebel. Uh, there's an article every year in the newspaper that talks about the top, ever how many names, uh, uh, baby names for a particular year. I don't think you're going to find Jezebel on that list. Now this woman claimed to be uh, a prophetess, but the text tells us that Jesus declares her to be a false prophet, uh, a false prophet, a false prophetess. There is a true gift of prophecy that the Holy Spirit gives to believers so that they can serve the body of Christ. Uh, it is defined, uh, the gift of prophecy is defined this way in a spiritual gift list that is provided by Life Re Lifeway Resources as proclaiming the Word of God boldly that builds up the body and leads to conviction of sin. The gift of prophecy, it is given to women. And there are New Testament examples of, of the true gift of prophecy being given to women. One of them in Luke chapter 2, verses 36 to 38, Anna, who was described as a prophetess and was at the temple giving thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem, she was there proclaiming uh, God's word to people who would hear to encourage them and to serve them, and to point to the time to when Jesus was coming. Uh, she, was all, she was at the temple when Mary and Joseph brought the baby Jesus to the temple to uh, be dedicated. In Acts 21.9, we're told that Philip the evangelist had four daughters who prophesied. Now, it doesn't tell us what their message is, but there's no indication here that they were considered uh, false prophets. They were given the true gift of prophecy. Uh, in 1 Corinthians 11.5 and the verses that follow that, Paul discusses the proper way for women to use the gift of prophecy in the context of the church at Corinth. Uh, but this woman, Jezebel, that's not her real name, whatever her name was, uh, did not have the true gift of prophecy, the true gift of proclaiming the word of God to build up the body. She was leading uh, some in the church directly into sin. Now, what she was teaching may have been very similar to the false teaching that we've heard about in, in Ephesus and, and Pergamum, um, the, uh, the teaching of Balaam, as Jesus called it, and also the teaching of the Nicolaitans, which both of them had elements 
uh, of sexual immorality uh, in it, and, and definitely it was a, a form of, of idolatry uh, that was going on. And so Jesus says in verse 21 that he has given her time to repent, but she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. The Lord has given, from the text, you can gather multiple opportunities. His voice cries out, the Holy Spirit cries out, Repent! Change your ways! And she keeps on on doing what she's been doing. Um, She has, uh, in in her rebellion and her continue to follow in these false teachings and not heed the word of the Lord, she has presumed upon the loving kindness of God. We see this kind of presumption and refusal to repent in Romans 2.4 where Paul says, Or do you presume on the riches of His kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? God is patient. Thank goodness He is patient. He calls upon us who have turned... Uh, he calls upon all who are in sin, who turn to their sin... And, and, and stay and, and shake their fist and rebel against him. Uh, those who may be involved in sexual immorality, those who have set up idols in their hearts to turn to him, forsake their sin, and, and experience the forgiveness that he provides. But all of this um, uh, rebellion, and, and like uh, Nebuchadnezzar who, uh, and um, Bel, uh, Belteshazzar, the kings of Babylon, particularly Belteshazzar, who uh, continued in his rebellion to the point that God judged him. You keep shaking your fist in rebellion and after, and at God, and you constantly refuse to repent. There comes a time when you can't hear the call to repent anymore. And so because she has not heeded the word that Jesus has given over and over and over again, the woman is going to experience judgment not because she has deceived her fellow believers, which we would all think would be a grievous sin, but it's because she will not repent. And I'm told a story of, you know, uh, I remember a commentator saying one time, it doesn't matter what your particular uh, uh, sin is that you struggle with, for we all struggle with sin, and we must all turn daily and have the, the mindset that Brian talked about where our goal each and every day is to obey the commands of the Lord Jesus Christ. This commentator said, it wasn't because of my particular sin, it was because of I would not repent. It was because I would not believe. And so, in verses 22 and 23, Jesus declares His judgment against her. He says that she's going to be thrown on a sickbed. And one translation it literally means she is going to be hurled onto a sickbed. And those of us who are uh, children of the 80s, we may remember the term hurled, or that implies sickness. Uh, but she is going to be hurled onto a sickbed, thrown onto it. And there's a lot of imagery in this judgment. On the one hand, it's very possible that the woman was involved in true sexual immorality and she had children um, through either her false teaching and the immorality that went on with it. And so she may have had children that the, the passage says, you know, her children are going to die. But there's, you know, there's debate on that. There is much about um, the false teaching of Balaam and the Nicolaitans that would have supported this. But there is an also an aspect of, of spiritual 
immorality, spiritual adultery, where she has turned away from the Lord and taught others to do the same, um, like the nation of Israel um, that follow, like the nation of Israel that followed after the gods of Jezebel, like we see in other descriptions in the Old Testament, where where Israel is described as an immoral woman uh, instead of being the pure bride uh, for for uh, the the pure bride of God, and then uh, in the Old Testament. And so the judgment of the woman is certain because she's failed uh, to, her, to repent, but it seems that her, uh, her followers still have an opportunity to repent. Jesus, um, verse 23, says that those who have committed adultery with her will suffer great tribulation unless they repent of her works. And so th- those that have been deceived still have time to repent, once again, God's grace and mercy overflows, and it is, all, it is something that all of us do not deserve, but He gives it to us out of His love for us, even while we were still His enemies. Some of those who have followed the woman and her deceptive teaching will not repent, and they will also suffer the consequences. And once again, it is not because of the particular sins in mind, it is because they will not repent when the call is given and they reach the point where they can no longer hear it. Jesus says that the judgment of the woman is so that all the churches will know that He is the one who searches hearts and minds and that He gives based on the things that each one of us has done. All of the seven churches would have seen this letter because there would have been couriers that would have taken John's writing and they passed them around and then eventually uh, they they were put into... Uh, what was called codices, which is the forerunner of books. And so they would be passed around for those in the church to read and hear the word of the Lord. And so this is not a works-based salvation that I'm talking about. Eternal life with the Lord Jesus Christ is a free gift, and it's offered only because of His grace and mercy. Um, But for the one who is not a believer, um, the searching eyes of Jesus... um, as he's searching minds and hearts, it only brings up one question. Do I know you? And if you do not know the Lord Jesus Christ, then his answer to you will be that you must depart from him and spend an eternity in hell. Uh, For the one who is a believer, you know, there's also a time when we will give an account of all of the things that we have done for the Lord. We will stand before him and, and, and the things that we have done in his name and the things that we have done against His name will all be laid out. And for some, there will be reward. And for some, there will be loss, even though they will spend eternity with Him. And so that's the the spending of eternity with Him. That is the hope we have. And so finally, Jesus describes uh, the the situation of, of the church at Thyatira in a way that gives hope. There is hope for the one who perseveres. There was a minority in the church who had, who had discernment. They had not fallen for the false teaching of the woman. They had not fallen into the deep things of Satan. And so once again, we are dealing with, uh, very, we're dealing with imagery here that is uh, not certain what it means. Uh, one of the interpretations is that the woman was teaching believers that the only way to truly understand um, uh, the, uh, the goodness of God and, and, and His blessings of grace and mercy and forgiveness. And the only way to fully understand 
Satan and to be able to confront him was to be involved in as much sin as you possibly can. And so they needed to experience all of the sin that they could in order to be able to experience all of the grace of God. Now, this morning I have a very technical uh, word for that. It, it's, a, it's a Greek word. It's hogwash. It's kind of like how people who are trained in, uh, in drugs or money or jewels, or they're, they're trained to understand something so uh, intensely, so intricately that they know the true and the real thing so well that when they see the false thing, they know immediately that it is the false thing. You don't learn uh, how to spot counterfeit money by studying all of the different ways that people can counterfeit. No, you study the U.S. currency so well and so intricately that when you see the fake thing, if you're an expert, you know it when you see it. And in the same way, if we are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, we need to be so steeped in the Word of God and in love and in faith and in service and in perseverance that whenever anyone comes teaching different, uh, different theology uh, about the Lord Jesus Christ, about God and who He is, about Scripture and what Christ has done for us, anything that is different from the gospel that has been given to us we need to be able to see right through that and say, no, that is wrong. And we need to refute that false teaching and be able to, uh, in turn, confront them with sound teaching. To the minority who was faithful, Jesus only gives one command. Hold on to what you have until I come. Jesus tells us that his yoke is easy and that his burden is light. He's telling this minority in the church at Thyatira to keep on... Uh, and he's telling us today to do, to do the things that he has called us to do, to continue in love, to continue in faith, to continue to serve each other and to serve our community and to persevere and to go out, you know, shout it from the mountains, go and tell it on the mountains that Jesus is Lord, that he has come to save and you can come to him in faith and repentance today. In other words, he's just telling them to keep on keeping on. And so... There is hope in, these promise, in the promise of eternity with the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, I'm thankful to say that in the Lord Jesus Christ, there is always hope. There is always hope for salvation for anyone who will turn to Him until they draw their last breath. There is hope for the believer who will spend eternity with Him, who confesses their sin, and they, and they continually have the desire to obey His commands. It tells us that you know, part of this eternity is that believers will reign with the Lord Jesus Christ. And the image that is being used here is that, it is a, that His reign, when Jesus returns, it will be a reign of, like a rod of iron, which would remind believers of the, role, uh, of the, the rule of the Messiah uh, when His kingdom is established. Remember that I mentioned Psalm 2 earlier, which tells us that God has declared that His King, His Son, will rule and reign on the earth with power and authority. Psalm 2, 7 through 12 says, I will tell you of the decree. The Lord said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the end of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. 
Now therefore, O kings, be wise and be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest He be angry, and you perish in a way, for His wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in Him. For those who want to rebel against God, there is judgment. And that passage explains when, when the Messiah comes, uh, that, the, that He will come to judge. The reign of the Lord Jesus Christ is coming, and every wrong will be made right, every false teacher will be called out, Every tear will be dried. There will be no more pain and suffering. And he is going to have the authority that is, um, uh, that, that is demonstrated by that image of a rod of iron to drive out his enemies. And those, the, but those who have been faithful to him will be blessed through him when he sets up his kingdom. Those who do not fail for false teaching are also promised to receive the morning star. And this is the Lord Jesus Christ himself. He said that he is the bright and morning star. And so for the believer, Jesus is our life. We were once dead, but now we've been made alive in him. The dirty rags of our own righteousness have been replaced with his righteousness. And his death means life for us. He is our ultimate reward in eternity. And, this is, and in this life, the church as his bride, through love and faith and service and perseverance, uh, are being made ready to be with him in eternity. And so, uh, verse 29, it offers the same challenge as each of the other three letters. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. This is a challenging passage. There's a lot of images in here that are, that are very foreign to us, and, and some of them that even those who, who are a whole lot smarter than I, they would say, that's very difficult to understand. But, Nevertheless, the book of Revelation, as of all of Scripture, is God's Word, and it is profitable for us. There's a lot of this imagery that we can't explain, but we are trying to do our best to see these images that Jesus gave to this church through their eyes in order to, to understand, maybe for just a little bit, how those things apply to us today. The message of the, of the, to the church at Pergamum was to repent. And, um, but uh, when their message was repent because of the false teaching that was there. There's the message to Thyatira seems to indicate that there is a call to repentance that goes out continuously, but there comes a time when we may not be able to hear it, when repentance may not be possible. For some, they'll, they, you can't hear it, and like I said, that prick at your heart when your conscience tells you that you're doing something that is against God's Word. You'll, your, your, your conscience can become seared and it can become scarred and you no longer hear the still small voice and you no longer feel the pinprick of His Word because you continue in, in your rebellion against God. Uh, thankfully, we know that the entire church didn't fall into this deception and the, word, and the Lord shows us in His Word that there is always a faithful remnant of his people. It was true in the nation of Israel. Even when, judgment, when God's judgment fell, there were always those who had not bowed their knee to the idols and to the images that, uh, of the gods of the nations around them. There was always some, a minority, uh, that uh, were, were faithful to God. But it is a warning to us, to a church 
that tolerates uh, immorality and idolatry. The Son of God has the, uh, the authority to set the record straight. But, and He will do that at a day that we don't know yet. But His loving kindness continues uh, to call us to repent. Um, idolatry was probably the most prominent sin in Israel. The church in Thyatira was confronted with the idolatry of their time. But in the 21st century, I would uh, venture uh, uh, an opinion that, the mo- that idolatry is also the most prominent sin of our time in the church. Yes, there is immorality, but it is the placing of all of these other things in the rightful place of God that is bringing down the church in the eyes of the world. Idolatry is anything that we put in our lives that is foremost instead of God. It doesn't matter if it's your sports team, it doesn't matter what your kids might be participating in, or your job, or your money, or your political party, whatever it is that you put before God, that is the idol in your life that you must deal with. It is the idol of your heart, and we have to deal with it um, and, and deal with those idols both as individuals and also when they come in and want to sit down beside us in the pews in the church. Because otherwise, there will come a time when the Lord will come to judge these things with that rod of iron. If you're, if you're not a believer today, if you have followed false teaching like the woman at the church at Thyatira taught, um, you know, but if you listen today and you still hear the call of the voice of the Lord to repent, you can do that today. You can find His grace and mercy in the Lord Jesus Christ. Even though there does come a time for some who can hear that voice, it, today is not that day, but today is the day of salvation. And so I would love to share with you today the, gra- the, the gospel of Jesus Christ that points to His grace and mercy, how He loved us so much. He died on a cross so that we could spend eternity with Him and, and be changed into his, uh, into his image and His likeness. And so I'll be at the front, and I would love to show you how you can know the Lord and be forgiven today. But if you're a believer, we need to be prepared to have the discernment to call out the false teaching that is around us. Maybe there's an idol in your heart that you need to forsake and return God to His rightful place in your life. Come to the altar today and pray for our church. Pray that we would be able to discern false teaching and that we would point it out. Uh, pray for you know. Pray for your brothers and sisters in Christ that we would all ha- have the desire each morning to obey the commands of the Lord. You may have. You may need to pray for loved ones who do not know the Lord, who may can still hear the call to repent, and and pray for them that the Lord would do a work in their life, and, and that they have not yet been deceived uh, by by the false teaching and had their had their ears darkened. The altar is open this morning, and so as Brian comes to lead us uh, in one last song, uh, come as the Lord leads, the altar is open. Let's pray. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Harvest Baptist Church. For more information, visit us online at harvest-baptist.org or find us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. You can also find info on our children's ministry at Facebook at Harvest Baptist Children's Ministry or on Instagram at KidsQuest underscore HBC. Our student ministries on Facebook at HBC Vertical Student Ministry and on Instagram at VSM underscore HBC. 
We welcome you to join us on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. We are located at 8999 Waltrana Highway in Harvest, Alabama. Thanks for listening, and God bless.